Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to another session on Flourishing in Isolation. It's good to have you back with us again. We're still exploring those uh, prison letters that Paul wrote to his followers uh, 2,000 years ago while under house arrest. And as I say every week, if you're new here, then do please go back and catch up um, on various platforms. But if you have stuck the course and this has been your 17th week in succession with us, then thank you for staying with us and being part of this incredible experience. You are amazing, amazing. And as we know, the question we are asking is what can we learn from these ancient texts so that we can flourish today when we find ourselves in isolation? Our circumstances might be changing. The future is definitely uncertain, but we are confident. I am confident. I hope you are too, that God has a plan and that he will light our path every step of the way, step by step. The last time we were together, we learned about flourishing in isolation through the second chapter of Colossians, the book of Colossians. We realized that although we live in complex times that can be seductive and compelling, we need to remain Jesus-centered, that message that goes throughout the book of Colossians. And we said there were three things we could learn last week. He said, one, we should get rooted into Jesus Christ, to build firm foundations, to make sure we have good practices in Jesus, of getting rooted and completely fixed into him. We said we shouldn't be distracted by worldly and selfish desires, that we should stay focused on him, that the spiritual powers, the complex marketing systems around us that attract us and woo us in, we say no to those things. We say no, we're going to focus our attention on him and to live the Jesus way with Jesus, not just do Jesus things, but to live the Jesus way with Jesus in a relationship with him. We have been marked out. Remember we talked about circumcision being the physical marking. We are spiritually marked. We are different because we follow Jesus. Some of those things will come up again. Colossians repeats itself throughout the book because Paul is trying to make a, a clear point and reinforce a point over and over again. So get hold of your Bible. We're going to dive in to chapter three of Colossians. Colossians um, chapter three is like one of the most significant chapters in the book. It's one of those kind of ones that gets quoted the most. Um, it's a bit like Philippians 4 in the book of Philippians or Ephesians 6 in the book of Ephesians, which we looked at both of those books. This is like the key chapter. So we've got a lot to pack in, uh, as we always, I guess, have. So get the Bibles ready. And we're going to start verse one in Colossians chapter three. It says these words, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. You will share in all his glory. Now, as we have previously said, uh, this point that Paul keeps on making to the church in Colossae, this is to raise the profile of Jesus as the centerpiece of our Christian faith to this young and developing church plant. It's fresh and it's wet behind the ears. And Paul is saying, remember Jesus, remember Jesus, remember Jesus. He's kind of saying over and over and over again, Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus, Jesus. And he's reinforcing the point over and over again. It's deliberate, it's intentional. He's trying to help it understand. 
And here he is pointing once again to Jesus, reminding the person listening and saying to them, give your attention to Jesus, who is sitting in the place of honor at the right hand next to his father God in heaven. And to think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, they're so heavenly focused, they're of no earthly use. Normally that phrase is used to mock someone who is maybe busy giving their attention to God and blissfully unaware of the realities of the world around them. The idea their head is in the clouds and they make no physical difference to all that's happening in their vicinity. And, and I understand what they're trying to say in that sort of that comment, but I think it's both a derogatory and unkind, but also it's not even necessarily true. Paul here is encouraging people to stay focused our attention focused on heaven, not on earth. He's saying exactly that. Do get your heads in the clouds. Do focus on the Father in heaven. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I think it was C.S. Lewis, said, if we aim for heaven, we'll get the earth thrown in. If we aim for the earth, that is all we will get. And, and Paul is saying we must aim high and look to be people who follow Jesus, follow him and look to him. It's not just saying we should ignore the needs of the earth. But he's saying, get your priorities straight. It's not one or the other, it's both. And the preference we should give is always Jesus first. It's this paradox that we have to have both those things. We must be people who are all things to all men. But at the same time, we stay heavenly focused, focused on Jesus himself. This, this kind of, this few verses here almost hyperlinks us to that story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. You know the story where there are two sisters and they're looking after Jesus, come to the house for a meal and Martha is running around doing earthly things. She is in the kitchen, she is getting the food ready, she is hosting and she is doing everything. Mary, her sister, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his every word. She is adoring him and she is spending time with him and she is concentrating on everything he has to say. And there's this lovely moment when Martha gets so annoyed by her sister, as siblings tend to do, and she goes to Jesus, she moans to Jesus, Jesus, tell her off. It's not fair. I'm doing all the work and she's just sitting here watching you, listening to you. And it says that Jesus gently admonishes Martha and says, you're getting distracted, Martha, by many things, by earthly things. But Mary has chosen wisely and given her attention to me. Or as the message version says, he's given, she's given her attention to the main course and you've got sidetracked by all the kind of extra bits and pieces. Now I'm sure in that story Jesus really wanted to have his food and his supper and he was very glad of Martha being in the kitchen but he was pointing out that Mary was not doing a bad thing. She was staying heavenly focused. She was giving Jesus her priority. We know that's important. We must give Jesus our attention, our focus and the earthly things will come to pass in the right way. We know that when Christ is revealed to the world, we all get to share in his glory. We need to live in the present to be right now as Christ-centered people, everyday people um, that we are becoming, but we bring the hope and the future into today's reality. We live as people in the now, but we, there is something more to come. There's the now and the not yet. And we're saying the not yet hasn't happened. We're believing it. We're seeing it. And we're going to pull what the, the future looks like to us as followers of Christ into our everyday reality. And that gives us hope.
often our frustration with people who we perceive to be too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use is more, if I'm honest, an indication of ourselves and our own attitudes, that we are so earthly focused, we are judging others based on our own behaviours. And we're pointing at others because they make us feel bad, because they're spending their time and their energy worshipping God and giving him their attention and spending time with him and going on lengthy prayer walks and, and doing lots of ministry. And we feel guilty. So we just point the finger and say, oh, they're not really contributing in the same way. So Paul points this out in verse chapter five. If we go to your back to your Bibles again, verse chapter five, he says these words. So put to death, he says, the sinful earthly things lurking within you. He knows it's in there. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behaviour, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Paul is saying here, um, that's your old way of living. You know, don't don't see pointing at other people. Forget um, earthly things. Focus your attention on God above and don't look at other people. Remember, you've changed your way of living. This is how you used to live before you met Jesus Christ. You put it all to death. You you stripped all that old stuff out. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all of your sins and your sinful nature onto himself. He covered himself in your sin and took your place. And so the writer here is saying, your old habits, when you were a non-believer, we now need to be different. That Jesus and his death on the cross has created uh, the old way and the new way. The cross creates the divide, the way you used to be and the way you should be now, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 famously says those words. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. We should think differently, act differently. We should do things differently to other people around us. We should be heavenly focused like Jesus himself was. Get rid of the old and put on the new. And, and Paul is saying here, you know, don't be like your old self. Get rid of this malicious behavior, the idolatry and the greed. None of that. Instead, he says in verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. That's amazing, isn't it? Christ is all that matters. He lives in us. Now, you might be listening to this thinking, that's all very easy to say. I used to be this, but now I'm this. I used to be the old, but now I'm the new. The old has gone, the new has come, and the Christ has brought all the change. I understand that, Sim, but this is really difficult. I wonder what you think your life about your life before you became a Christian. How is your life different now? Does Colossians 3 describe some of those changes of how you are now? Or maybe like me, you read some of those lines and you hear some of those lines. You think, oh, I am so far away from where I should be. 
Have I really killed off my old sinful nature? Have I really put on a new self? Or is it still a daily battle to become more like Jesus Christ? Here's the good news. Is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a new way of living that deletes the old rules, the old law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, whatever, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, as the language Paul is using here, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in you. With our mistakes and our disappointments, with our malice and our greed and our love and our patience, Christ lives in us. And he says, whoever you are, whether old or young, rich or poor, whatever your academic achievements, whatever your career position, where you have achieved success in life or disappointment, whether you are married or single, homeless, or you have multiple homes, Christ is all that matters. He is is the new measurement of spiritual success. It's not the outward appearance by the world's values, the old behaviours that disappoint us of our old life. It's leaking out of us and we make mistakes and we say things and we think things and we do things. Jesus is all that matters. He is the one that makes us new. Your behaviour and my behaviour are signs of an old way of living that still permeates who we want to be. But it says here clearly, Christ is all that matters. That is good news. Whether you are barbaric, I'm not sure today, you describe yourself as barbaric. Whether you're barbaric, uncivilised, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. That's so good, isn't it? Hope you're encouraged by these words. I definitely am. And in fact, I I love the way that um, this is written as a version of the Bible called the Message Version, which is a paraphrased version of the Bible. And uh, the writer there, um, Eugene Peterson, rewrites Colossians 3 uh, verses 9 to 11 in this beautiful way in the Message Version, says this. um, You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you've stripped off and put it in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. Oh, I love that image. It's great, isn't it? All the old fashions are now obsolete. Everyone is included in Christ. He is the great fashion designer. He has made a new label that you and I can wear. And he carries on with this sort of almost analogy of clothing in verse chapter 12. So I'm using the New Living Translation and back to verse 12 says these words, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, 
you are called to live in peace and to always, always underline that in your Bible, always be thankful. Again, there is that image of clothing, clothing yourself. When I, I imagine these verses, you know, to, it says that to put on, to put on, um, to clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility. That image of clothing yourself, of standing in front of your wardrobe at the beginning of the day and say, right, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to put on? It's a deliberate choice. You have all those things you can choose from. And you say, what shall I put on today? It's a daily intention to clothe yourself with, hmm, what should I wear? I know, I will wear mercy. I will wear kindness. I will wear humility and gentleness and patience. I will wear them like clothes on my back. Or what about, I know, I can, I can make allowances today for other people's faults. I'll wear that outfit. Or I could choose to forgive others who have offended me. That, that's a daily wardrobe choice, a spiritual wardrobe, if you like. They're the spiritual clothes that hang off us, but we choose them every day. Or maybe a priority for our daily wardrobe should be clothing ourselves in love, which brings harmony. We are making these choices all the time. Like we make the choice every day to put on clothes and hopefully at least you choose to put on something today, to wear something, especially if you're going out of your home. But we come under this great fashion designer, Jesus Christ himself, who rules our hearts and our lives. And we choose to wear clothes that he designed that change the atmosphere of people around us. And Paul is saying they come under the rule of his peace. Just there in, in verse, where are we? Verse uh, 14, uh, 15. Come under the rule of peace. Come under his peace. Come under the, let the king of our lives and the choices that we make. May he be a God who rules and gives us peace in our hearts. to helps us with decision making that we have every day. I don't know about you, but when I make a big decision, I'm always keen to have peace. I, I don't like rushing into decisions that have, have big um, knock-on effects. I know recently Lottie and I, we talked about building a house extension. At the back end of last year, we had plans drawn up. We had prices put together by builders. We had all this stuff ready to go. And we, we were all ready to press the button. And we had this plan. We set it all up for the beginning of this year. And we thought, ah, oh, we're going to build an extension. We'd like to make better use of our kitchen area. And we had it all ready to go. We had the funds. We had everything. And my wife, Lottie, and I, we just started talking. I just, I just haven't got peace about this decision. And Lottie said to me, I'm glad you said that because I haven't got peace either. And neither of us had peace about the decision we were going to make. And we decided not to go ahead with the building work. Uh, and we're glad we didn't because we may have had it half done as soon as the you know, kind of pandemic hit uh, this time in 2020 would be a very bad time probably to have your, your roof off your house or something. But we just had, didn't have peace about the decision. And we were both talked, we realised we didn't have that peace. We said we let go of the plan and we came up with a better solution and we were just so pleased with what we were able to do, with what we already had. And I would encourage you before you make any major decision, just take a moment to pause and maybe even a few days if it's a big purchase or a really big decision you're going to make, um, to, to sense God's peace. That, that Once that initial excitement has calmed down, to, to follow the peace 
that comes from God. That doesn't always make sense. God's peace doesn't always make sense. That phrase, you know, it passes all understanding. Our logic goes, but we just go, there's just something. I just don't feel comfortable. But on many occasions, I can tell you stories of when uh, we have just not felt peaceful about a decision we're going to make. And with hindsight, we've realized it's the right decision. And it's often been a real blessing to us as we've looked back on the decisions we've made. Let the peace of God rule over your life. And you know what it's like, and I know what it's like when I've run ahead with an idea and I haven't got peace and I haven't even started, even haven't even asked God. I've just said, God, I'm going, I'm running with this. I hope you'll catch up, God. Rather than pausing and saying, do I come under the peace of God? Do I come under that rule of God's peace? I encourage you to do that, to sleep on decisions, to pause before you announce a big a next step and say, God, have I got your peace before I process forward with this? How are you doing? Is this okay? I mean, that's some big stuff there, but I encourage you in your decision making and do speak to friends and do speak to loved ones before you run ahead. And just and that counsel with each other, which gets mentioned, that's a nice link to verse 16. It says these words in verse 16, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. There's that idea of counseling each other, talking to each other. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, we may not be able to sing together corporately, but that should never stop us singing to God individually. Psalm 100 tells us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You might think, I'm not a very good singer. I don't think God cares. He's up for a joyful noise. He didn't say a joyful tune that had to be perfectly notes and, you know, arpeggios and scales. He just said, make a joyful noise. You can shake and rattle and you can hum and you can scream and whatever works for you. But he's asking us here to bring our songs and our psalms and our hymns and our spiritual songs, make music to God with thankful hearts, to be thankful that word coming through again. You know, maybe when you go for a walk and you get to the top of a mountain or a hill, you can sing your song along with the animals around you if no one else is there. I, I find myself singing all the time to God because I want to be somebody with a thankful heart. Singing is a response. It's a way of expressing our emotions and our love and our excitement and our passion. I want to be enriched with Christ and my life to be full. So I sing. Um, much to the frustration of my children, I constantly sing. I will sing when I'm having a shower. My, my kids aren't in the shower. That would be weird and a bit strange. But they hear me and they get annoyed by my constant singing. I sing while I'm walking around the house. Uh, I, I sing while I'm driving the car. And, and sometimes I'll sing when I answer their incessant questioning of what we're going to be doing the rest of the day. I just sing in response. And, and I sing because I want to be someone who's thankful. I want to be a thankful person, thankful for Christ for each day he has given to me. So I sing and I invite you to do the same, to choose time and go and sing and express your love for God. Obviously, you watch out for your social distancing and, and maybe not sing in someone's face, but Find a time, find a place to worship God, to put a piece of music on in your car, turn it up loud and drive and sing, to do it in the name of Jesus. You represent him everywhere you go, everywhere you say and you see and you do, 
you can live a thankful life. And some of that comes out when we start to sing those truths of God, that whatever we do, we do it for him. We're worshipping him, reflecting him. And then Paul then points, and it's a really natural section here, he points us to really practical living. How does somebody who's following Jesus, who's making Jesus central to their life, how does that look in our homes? And he gives some really practical instructions for Christian households. In verse 18, he says these words, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. These few verses here, these are, I love these because these are like the executive summary or the bullet pointed list that hyperlinks us to the much fuller detail in Ephesians chapter 5. This list here is not a list of rules, but of values that you should hold if you come under the Jesus model. Remember this key message of Colossians, having Jesus at the center, the centrality of Jesus. Paul is saying here, if Jesus, if Jesus is central in your life, then wives, you should submit to your husbands as that is what Jesus would do. Husbands, you should love your wives and treat them really well because that is what Jesus would do. Children, you should obey your parents because that is what Jesus would do. Parents, don't aggravate your children, as that would discourage them. And that is not what Jesus would do. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, it will change everything about the way you live your life in the home. And also then the writer Paul points out about the workplace. He says, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, here's how you live in the home. Fathers, watch out how you care for your children. Husbands with your wives, wives with your husbands, Think about one another. Children, how you obey your parents. He then carries on. Slaves, in verse 22 of chapter 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you're working for the Lord than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favourites. And then just pinching the first verse from chapter four, which really finishes this section. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. In heaven. Today, if, if you have a boss and you're a follower of Jesus, it says, obey your earthly masters, as that is what Jesus would do. If you have someone who employs you, then you respect them in the way that Jesus would want you to do. And I love this next line where he says, to try and please them all the time, not just when they are watching. It's so easy, isn't it? And natural to perform when someone is watching, when we know we're being watched, when the person we are responsible to is observing what we are doing. But what about when our boss, our employer, our supervisor, our manager, when, when they've left for the day or when they've gone on holiday, how do you behave when they're not there? Do you still work hard? Do you still arrive early and leave late? Do you take longer lunch breaks because you think no one is watching? 
the scripture here is very clear. Serve your employer well because of your desire to serve Jesus well. Now, this stuff shouldn't be done out of guilt. And I'm not here trying to make you feel guilty. I'm here to say this is our aspiration to, if we want to live a Jesus way, here is how we can do it. And there's a key verse in verse 23 that says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. To work for the Lord rather than for people. Christians, we should be the best at what we do. Our work is our worship. Every day we get up and we go to work wearing our spiritual clothes we've just picked out from the wardrobe of love and of mercy and of patience and not taking offence. And we go to work and we worship God through our work. We're, our attitudes, our achievements, they all make a statement about the one that we really serve. Not the person that gives us our paycheck, but the person who gives us eternal life with him. How we treat people reflects the love we have for God. How we work hard reflects the love we have for God. How we give our attention to detail reflects the love we have for God. That's why some of the most beautiful statues and, and, and art pieces and installations and architecture have been done for the love of God. They are, they are things of worship and beauty, and they've been done for God himself. I, I love watching someone who is a highly skilled person, a craftsman, who has honed their ability and their skill over the years to perfect their natural God-given talent. I always think, you know, did King David, did he kill Goliath with a slingshot because he prayed really hard when the stone flew out of the slingshot and hit Goliath in the perfect position to knock him dead? Or was it that David had spent hours on the hillside perfecting his aim and the use of a slingshot? We have got to be people that work hard at the gifts that God has given to each one of us. And this is something that's important for each one of us, to take what God has given to us and to use it really well. And that final verse there ends with a bit of warning for those who are in positions of responsibility. If you're an employer, if you're a manager, if you own your own company, then you don't get left out. If you're a shift supervisor, you get to have or have a small team of people under your care. Remember that we should be just and fair to those on our team. As ultimately, all of us have a, a master, all of us have a Lord, a boss, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's in heaven watching our every move, even when we think no one is watching. Think about how we treat people, how we treat those around us, whether in the home or in the place of work. So as we wrap things up today, what can we learn from this book today from Colossians, from chapter three, that will help us flourish in isolation. Uh, one of the things I think we need to pick up here is that Jesus is interested in every part of your life. That as you set your sights on him, that you should do the following three things I think we can pick out from today. Number one, we've talked about this, to choose the right clothes to wear, to choose love, patience, to not take offense, choose the right clothes, make a decision every day to get up and say, I'm choosing to wear the right clothes. Secondly, um, that you and I, you have a rich life. You have a good life and we need to be thankful, to be thankful. To, to, if it helps you to sing, to, it helps to wake up in the morning to sing and hope you don't disturb the neighbours. 
but to, to give yourself and be thankful because we have so much to be thankful for. Even in times of uncertainty, we can be, we can be thankful that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have something to be thankful for and celebrate. And that lastly, whatever you do, whether in the home or the workplace, whatever you do, you are doing it unto the Lord. You're doing it to that audience of one is sometimes being used that phrase, that we, we worship God with our actions in what we do in the home or workplace. And that whether we are successful or unsuccessful in our striving, that our audience of one is who we're trying to impress. That if we do something really special, God will love us and be impressed by us. And if we do something terrible, make a great mistake, then God will still love us and still want to be our father and connected to us. Isn't that amazing. And we come under his rule and reign of peace. We are so thankful. Let me pray for us as we bring this to an end. Father God, I pray for all the people represented who are listening and watching today. I pray for all the households that are here in person, that they would be homes of love, homes of encouragement, homes where people love one another and bring the best out of each other that their homes would be places of worship that would reflect you. Lord, I pray for all the workplaces we represent, that we would be good employees and good employers, that we would care for those around us, that we would work hard at all times, even when no one is watching, that we would worship you with everything that we do. And I want to pray right here, Lord, at the end, that for all those watching right now, that we make good choices each day, to put on the right spiritual clothes, to choose to bring glory to you with the way that we live day by day for you, the one that we worship, Jesus at the centre of our very being. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to having you again with me next week. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.